Who says tech can't be human? I'll tell you there are five dimensions. It's know yourself, speak your truth, inspire love, expand consciousness, and activate mastery. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M-O-N-E. What's going on, everybody? You're in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again, speaking with more amazing guests. And our guest today is someone that always captivates an audience, captivates an audience because of their passion and experience in helping others. And this episode, our guest is Jenny Clark. Jenny is a leadership strategist, talent consultant, podcaster, keynote speaker, author, and much more. I'm sure we're going to be able to unpack, you know, more about you, Jenny, and really hear your origin story and where you are at today. But most importantly, welcome to the podcast. Chris and Ron, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure and a delight to be with you today. You know, I think back to when we first met you at Dev Color and we saw you up on stage and you were speaking and you were talking about your experiences and your expertise. And I was honestly captivated, came up to you and spoke to you after that event. And ever since then, we've kind of stayed in contact. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. I'll try to keep it relatively brief. I I have a lot of years behind me and a a whole lot more in front of me, I'm happy to say. Real quickly, I wanted to be a veterinarian when I went to college. So I started off in animal science, switched to French and linguistics, ended up in business school, went into banking, financial services for a few years, and then decided I wanted to be an executive recruiter. And so I spent 12 years at a global executive search firm. Spencer Stewart was made a partner there and helped build their global diversity practice. And then I, on a humbug, I decided I wanted to leave. It was very happy. It's a great firm, but I wanted to write this book because I felt so strongly that so many of the people that I had encountered, these very senior executives from around the world, you know, real heady stuff, right? But I thought they're, they're not thinking about this, right? This whole job thing. They would come to the search firm and say, okay, you guys, what do you have for me? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because Mm. there are literally millions of opportunities out there that the cert firm doesn't have. And I also thought I've always come from a family of people who want to help serve others. Service is, is a key element of who I am and what I'm about. And so I thought if I can not just, you know, for the rarefied air of the sort of 1% of executives and offer something for everyone. And I had at the time a teenage son and I wanted him to understand how he, the agency that he had in managing his career. So I stopped. I wrote this book. I consulted for a number of years. Single mom needed to get my son through school and missed the partner compensation. So I went back to another firm, 
that firm sold after a couple of years. And then I went, Google came calling and said, would you help us with our executive recruiting function, specifically around diversity? Was out there for four and a half years, built the diversity piece, built an internal mobility piece for them, and led a team of recruiters for their executive recruiting organization. And then things got kind of crazy. There was a whole lot of churn, as there are in many of these <laughs> tech companies. Right. A lot of you know leadership changes and reorgs. And I just said, enough. I can't. I'm a purist. I understand the art and science of executive recruiting. And I wasn't, I didn't feel like I could do it well there. And so I said, I'm out. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, moved back to Chicago and have been doing my own thing, which I love, which is the stuff that you mentioned. It's the speaking. I'm with the Speakers Bureau, the podcasting, starting another book, doing a little consulting. And so life is good right now. I'm doing all the stuff that I love and imparting knowledge, hopefully, and continuing to learn, which is my other passion. Absolutely. You know, one of the common themes that seems to go throughout all your career, even the content that you produce, is about humanity and the, and the human condition. Yeah. And I'm sure with your experience and just your, your touch with people has given you a perspective that I'm sure not many people get. So mm -hmm. from your perspective, what do you think you understand about the human condition that a lot of people just don't get yet? I love it. <laughs> Let me, I'll mention something that is really important to me. And that is, um, I lost my parents when I was still in my thirties. They were older when they came together and had me and my brother. And that losing my dad first was a, a real catalyst. He was, I had two amazing parents, but my dad in particular was sort of the first leader I observed, right. And was a coach and just an inspiration to me. And when he passed away, I was lost. I mean, I felt really kind of rudderless on a what I now would call a spiritual level. And I was introduced to someone, I call him my guru. And that was 28 years ago. And I'm still um, seeing this guru who helped me on my spiritual journey. And I bring that up because that has been instrumental in shaping how I see humanity and, you know, looking beyond you know, as an executive recruiter, I, it's a great intersection, actually, because so many people get caught up in what has someone done? You know, what are their credentials and their identity can be sitting in the title of their jobs and how much money they make. And, and I kind of cut all through that and say, who are you? Right. Who are you as a person? And that's what I brought to everyone that I try to deal with, frankly, you know, but as a, especially as a leader, it's like, okay, you know, I don't care what's on your resume as much as I want to know how you think and who you are and how I can connect with you on a human level. And so that's at its essence. And I think that is what is missing right now. I think that's why COVID happened to us as a civilization so that mm -hmm. we could get back in touch with ourselves and go inside, right, metaphorically. <laughs> and, and physically, we had to go inside our homes. But I think the call was for us to go inside ourselves and to get in touch, because you can't, if you can't be in touch with yourself, it's really hard to connect with someone else. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of leaders are missing on a practical level and why we have organizations that are, I dare say, quite fragile because of the lack of leadership. They might have a lot of money. They might have really intelligent, well-educated people. But to the extent those organizations don't have actual leaders for whom they are holding accountable, you know, their leadership competencies, right? Because being smart doesn't, being educated doesn't make you smart and being smart doesn't make you competent. And right. I think uh, competency is, includes having a level of self-awareness 
which to me is sort of that beginning bridge to consciousness. And I talk in terms of conscious leadership a lot so that hopefully these threads are connecting for you and helping you begin to see the what I consider to be some of the most important elements of leadership, which comes all the way back down to the humanity, the who the person is, the who, less the what. The threads are connecting, but now I feel like I have a lot of loose ends that I want to jump into just because there was a lot. Was a I lot know, it was said. a lot. <laughs> it was almost like the most simple yet, you know, complicated, you know, yeah. way of thinking about things. And I would say that if you want to hide a secret, you would hide it inside of a person. That's the best place to hide it because a lot of people, especially leaders, aren't willing to go within to find the answers that are going to help them become a better leader, family mm-hmm. member, person for their community. And, you know, you spoke about your guru and I'm really excited to hear more about it. But I wanted to also ask you a bit about like, what kind of opportunity could having a mentor, a guru or something similar of that nature provide for our leaders? It sounded like it was very something very specific for you. Do you have any stories or examples where someone had something similar that is, you know, worth sharing on this podcast? Man, I mean, the, the nature of the work that I do with my guy, people aren't ready for. <laughs> I mean, because I've explored the outer reaches, right, of of consciousness with him through you know, some altered states and all of that. So that's what, what I mean when I say a lot of people aren't ready. So I, I'm, I'm kind of an advanced student, if you will, after 28 years of working with him. In fact, he just worked on me this morning. That's one of the reasons I moved back to Chicago. He's down the street mm. and he's, he does energy work and he sent some energy through my body that has got me kind of realigned in a, in a good way to deal with some of the things that I know are coming. But I guess uh, maybe I can talk about it in, in more practical terms when I think about some of the, t- the people that I've had on my team and people for whom I've been a leader and a mentor, because a lot of it has to do with simply, frankly, holding up a mirror to them. And it's just kind of saying, all right, I hear you, but do you hear yourself? You know, and can you see yourself? And is this who you want to be? So it's less about me trying to tell them. It's more about me trying to get them to have a, a deeper sense of self-love and acceptance and to stop arguing for their limitations. I hear so many people say, well, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because well, what if that didn't exist? What if that wasn't real? What if that's a belief that isn't true? All beliefs are not true. Right. Right. So maybe that hopefully that gives you a, a sense of how I approach it and, and embedded in there are some of the things that I know I've gleaned from you know, my, my dad, who was a, a, indeed a mentor to me and other mentors and influential people in my life. When you, you speak about situations and circumstances that sort of drive you in this direction, it, it gives you purpose, it gives you mission. One of the things I, I often come back to is that I look at people and I see their preoccupations and the way they act and maybe they're self-centered or egotistical. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when I look at people, I really see the child inside because obviously there was something that happened to them when they were young or maybe they didn't feel seen or they didn't feel valued. And you've been able to work with some of the most influential people in tech. When it comes to that, you know, a lot of people forget about that other component. They see the brilliance, they see the intelligence, but they might not see like some of the emotional sort of disconnect or damage that other people yeah. have. How do we show up better for others and really see the whole human? 
Oh, I, this is a great question, Chris. I mean, I love the fact that um, you're pointing out the child in us. I once observed when I was interviewing someone years ago when I was at Spencer Stewart, I was sitting across the, the room from him and I all of a sudden just saw him when he was 10 years old. Mm. That's how I saw him. And I thought, you know, he was sort of that, that dorky kid who had his pants way up under his chest and, you know, glasses and, and was probably bullied. And he was a lovely man. I didn't see that as a weakness, but somehow that was a flash that I got of something that he went through. And this is now how he's showing up. Let me just be accepting of all of this, right? And I think that's what we all need when I see, you know, misbehaving people on the street here in downtown Chicago. I'm thinking, this is embarrassing to me, but what have they gone through? And maybe I can just kind of send them some energy that's you're loved and you don't need to act out and you don't need validation from other people. You know what I mean? So it's like, I really want for people to get grounded and for all of us to honor the, some of the trauma and the difficulties that we've all been through because no one has gotten through this unscathed. At the same time, I think we all have to begin to acknowledge, and I don't think a lot of people believe this, I do, we didn't come here to suffer. Mm. And there's a way to transcend all of that. It means surrendering to yourself, to something bigger, you know, and I'm not trying to go to church. I'm not religious, but I think we need to begin to heal ourselves and when we can heal ourselves, then we're healing organizations because organizations are nothing more than an amalgam of the people in them, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, otherwise it's just something on a piece of paper. And so I'm really intentional about trying to get people to acknowledge and some of their fears, biases, anxieties. Mental health has been talked a lot about. It's because it's a problem, right? There's a whole generation of young people I have a son who's 26. I've watched him and a lot of his contemporaries challenged with anxiety and depression or suicides. I mean, you know, there's all this angst and all this stuff. And it's like, we have another choice. It doesn't have to be this way. And I don't mean to minimize the severity of it by any stretch, but I'm saying we as a civilization can't fix it as long as we're seeing it as separate from ourselves. So that's where the self-love comes from and the support and the sharing and the, the non-dualistic orientation, which defies everything about tech, right? Tech is all about the binary, the ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. And here I'm talking about something that is far more inclusive than that. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. Sometimes it does feel as though in order to get this healing, people want to see things change. They want to see things change in the workplace. Mm -hmm. They want to see things change with technology mm -hmm. and how we're being served information. 
And one element that comes up for me quite a bit, especially however I can help organizations, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Trying to bring in more people that wouldn't have known about technology and cybersecurity into the field. And in some ways, it's a it's a very noble act to try to make more people aware. But sometimes I feel as though we're all going about it a different direction than what we should. And you've been right in the driver's seat helping mm-hmm. executives find their way at some big organizations. What have you learned from this big effort that we have going on with <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion and getting more word about technology to underrepresented groups? I'm going to break that up a little bit because I think organizationally, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I use this reference in, in my talks. I think there's been organizational malpractice as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think you've got a lot of people who actually don't want to understand it. They're not going to root cause. They're throwing money at it. They're hiring a chief diversity officer and saying, okay, you fix it, which is ridiculous. Um, and we're not, not much has actually changed. There's been some movement, but you're not seeing high levels of representation. Now, I won't I'll spare you the intricacies of attempting to make some of these changes at Google and with some of my clients at Spencer Stewart, but because it's it's a lot of mechanics, right? It's really breaking down how are people being assessed, right? Mm. Who's good, better, and best? And there's a tremendous amount of room for bias in there. And a lot of people are hiring on the basis of things like I've mentioned it before, pedigree. Which schools did you go to? Which companies did you work for? What degrees do you have? What were your your test scores? You know, all this stuff that, by the way, has never been correlated to as a predictor for one's success in the role, right? And I was trained to use competencies, competency-based assessment. And that is what people need to be assessing on and not, well, how well do I know you? You know, are you friends? But it's that's rampant, okay? So those basic things have yet to be fixed. And those are tools and processes that could be changed if people really wanted to change them. My conclusion is there's no real commitment to change overall. I mean, you're going to find some CEOs who are committed and they can tell you their numbers and all of that, but at a meta level, and I, that's not the company, but a term, (laughs) it's a term, right? Mm -hmm. The commitment isn't there. So here's what I say to, I'm a Kellogg alum and I was talking to some black Kellogg alums a few months ago, and they were saying, Jenny, you know, what do you think? And what's your take? And how do we get better? And how do we make these organizations? And I'm like, why are you even trying to get validation from some of these individuals inside of these organizations? We're going Mm -hmm. to them. And oh, by the way, I've also concluded, I think I've alluded to this, that a lot of these leaders are not good at leading. I mean, there are plenty of studies out there that say that. Gallup poll said that 18% of leaders are considered good. 18, one eight. Mm. That's it. And the others are not considered having strong leadership capabilities. 82% are not considered good at leading. So here we've got particularly people from underrepresented backgrounds coming into these esteemed organizations going, okay, they finally let me in. And now I, I want to show them what I've got. And they're not paying attention to me or they're intimidated by me, or they're threatened or whatever, and I don't feel like I'm being seen or supported. And it's evidenced in different companies, you know, engagement surveys and what have you. And I'm saying, when, why don't we stop waiting for the organization to be fixed for us? How about we change in ourselves and show up knowing that we belong? 
and stop asking for permission and seeking validation. What if that happened? I'm not talking about a revolution. We're not armed. Mm-hmm. We're not here to be mad at anybody. We're just saying, you know what? It's time. I'm showing up as me with all of my greatness. And that is what's going to help to change the whole landscape. That's because the skill is irrefutable. It is. Now, back to your original question, Ron, about <laughs> trying to get more underrepresented groups exposed to STEM. I'm all about it. Let's do it. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. But again, are we waiting around for government to mandate some of these things? We have to find a way to do it. Just do it. I said to somebody, I was talking to a a tech incubator here in Chicago, and they said, well, you know, we've got some of these corporate entities that are saying, well, maybe we'd like some of the students that you put through, but some of them just don't have the right experience. I said, that's a BS comment. I don't even want to hear that. I said, how about we use AI and whatever kind of simulated, whatever it is to create, to simulate the experience. You're in tech, right? Mm -hmm. Simulate the experience for these young people all of these young people, and let's see who does the best. Because experience does not make you smart. It doesn't mean you're competent. The experience in and of itself does not. Because I know tons of people who've had great experiences, beautiful resumes, incompetent. So that's part of my answer for leveling the playing field so that our young people know that they have access. There's plenty of money out there. We live in an abundant world. There is plenty of money out there. And that 18% statistic is just dumbfounding to me because with everything that you're saying, I really think of two things. Uh, Number one, culture starts at the top, right? Like you were saying, if if you bring on someone that's going to lead diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's not going to fix everything because Mm -hmm. it's, it's you. You have to be the one that helps make that change from a culture perspective. And then I also think of ownership. So for me, I'm leading Hacker Valley Media, right? We have Mm -hmm. staff, we have contractors. If there is a toxic environment or uh, a non-inclusive environment or there's there's issues, just negativity, Mm -hmm. I have to take ownership as the CEO of the organization to say something I'm doing or not doing is making this environment possible. So it is up to me to start that change. I don't know. I mean, do you see that is the, the same way as the, the, the leaders of these organizations are really the ones that set the tone for the culture? And then how do we move that statistic from 18 percent to something much more healthy? So you're right. This is an accountability issue. And the leaders, I would say, are at the top. The boards are not holding the CEOs accountable for what matters. They're holding them accountable for their performance right? But they're not really looking at, I've always for years, and I'm not an HR person per se, even though that was a function I was in at Google. I've been in, you know, professional services, financial services. So um, I look at the HR world as being something that is necessary. There are protocols, there are ways to measure people's, you know, the engagement surveys are really important. It's not just about the money, because if you didn't have the people, How are you going to make money? So I think we need to shift the metrics of how we're valuing organizations. That's gotten way out of alignment. And that's a tall order because everybody's bought in and people have their equity and they're not letting go of that. And it keeps going up. And but, you know, what if it doesn't? I just saw an article yesterday. I think it was in 
Fortune. I think it was in Fortune. And it was saying Silicon Valley is hitting a wall. It's hitting a wall. Right? Mm-hmm. All the, the money is not flowing like it was because of performance. So I think that's part of it. We What are we actually measuring? So the accountability hasn't been there to measure the quality of the culture. The culture is indeed an amalgam of the behaviors of the senior most people. Mm. So I don't care what's on your website. It's how you're showing up as a leader. And to the extent that you're being held accountable for those leadership competencies, how do you make decisions? How do you treat people? How do you build inclusive teams? How do you problem solve? Those are all leadership competencies that are separate and apart from the domain expertise. And so if those aren't have never been measured and you've hired a bunch of smart people and said, oh, figure out the rest of the leadership stuff. We're scaling. It won't matter much. You mm-hmm. know? So what if you've never managed people before? Here's a thousand people. Figure it out. Right. And then there, the, and no, nothing is ever measured that actually matters other than the productivity, which is going to hit a wall because they're most cases they're according to our statistic of 18%. Most of them, these poor people, thousand people have been poorly managed. So I don't think I came up with an answer for you there, (laughs) except to say it to call out the fact that we're not measuring the right things and the level of accountability. Maybe it's shareholder activism. Maybe it's bottom up. Maybe the great resignation is helped by the workers kind of saying, I'm not going to work in a toxic environment. Right. I think it's a lot of these things that are still sort of emerging. What's funny is I think about this word legacy all the time. Ron and I, we talk mm-hmm. about legacy at great lengths. And and when we talk about it, we talk about it from legacy in the most healthy sense that we can think of. I think mm-hmm. a lot of folks might think about that egocentric view of legacy. Like I'm mm-hmm. going to make the the biggest, baddest company that's going to make all this money and, and everyone, mm-hmm. I'm going to be in the history books and immortalize me X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. But when I really think about legacy and true legacy, it's really about making an impact on other people. And I see that in you and everything that you're doing. At the end of the day, what is the legacy that you're hoping to leave for humanity? Thank you. You know, I have my podcast, Fifth Dimensional Leadership, and I'll I'll tell you there are five dimensions. It's know yourself, speak your truth, inspire love, expand consciousness, and activate mastery. And so I think that's, if I can do those things, activate those things in other people, I'm convinced that that's going to help change the world. Every aspect of it, way different from what we know it. That's what I see when I allow myself to go into meditation every morning and what I project out. We're about to enter a a whole different phase of our civilization. That's my prediction. What does it look like? I can't tell you. I don't, because I don't know, because we've not seen it before. But we're creating it right now. That's the exciting part to me. That's what gives me hope. And that's why I want to activate and stimulate people's imagination. You know, young kids have imagination and that creativity, that spawns, that manifests, that takes hold, that becomes real. And that's how we change the world so that it's good for all. And that becomes the objective. That's my legacy. It's creating good for all. Mm. I'm coming up with two additional words, freedom and empowerment, right? Having the freedom to move and then being empowered to do so, whether it's through skills or support or knowledge, whatever it is, there's someone that's listening right now that's they want to live in this world of Ginny, right? Because I feel like you have this this mental clarity about the way things should be. And they want to be mm-hmm. a part of how do they spread that even further? Uh, what mm-hmm. do you think people can do today to start 
to make an impact and move the world in that direction? Oh man, that's a beautiful question. You know what? I, I think so much of it is, I don't think we, I think we underestimate the power that we have to change lives. I was walking down the street the other day. I was walking behind some people, one of whom was disabled and was moving a little slowly. And so the other people with him were very protective. And, uh, and as I slowed down, I said, no, 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 take your time. And they, they said, no, go, go ahead around us. And as I walked by, the guy said, wow, you've got a vibe. And I said, you're talking to me? He goes, yeah, what a vibe. And I just smiled and I said, you know, have a great time in our city. But what he was sensing was my vibration, where I literally vibrate, what is my frequency. And so I want to see everyone attempt to raise their frequency, go into that aspect of yourself where you feel good, right? We're waiting for other stuff to make us feel good. Don't you understand? You can only feel good if you choose to. If you choose to, seeing a flower, you can look at it in disdain or you can look at the beauty in it. So when we decide that we want to own our realities and honor our choices and share love with those around us, that to me, that's creating this new world in the moment because we're part of, it's exponential. It's more than exponential. It's quantum. (laughs) Okay, Mm. now I'm taking you way out there, but, (laughs) but, but literally, right. I mean, I said to some women I was speaking to a few months back, you know, we sometimes feel insignificant like that drop in the ocean, Mm -hmm. but don't you understand that you have the power of the ocean in that drop and you are part of it. You're always part of it. So that's, that's really the message that I have for anybody who wants to be part of this. It's the movement is within you and the movement becomes contagious and has um, an, an exponential effect. It, it starts with love. And I'm, you know, you guys, you know me a little bit. I'm not like sappy and sweet and, you know, <laughs> that's not that's not me. Right. I'm kind of hard hitting, but I'm hard hitting with a tremendous amount of love and compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that I think we need to, to bring us together as a collective that has this enormous, exponentially greater power to overcome all of the darkness that we're seeing in the world right now. Powerful. Absolutely powerful. I knew this conversation was not going to disappoint. It was uh, an <laughs> honor to hop on the mics and talk with you. For the folks out there to want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you're doing in the world, what are the best ways for people to do that? It's probably just, um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, my website is JennyClark.com. And, um, you know, the podcast, all that stuff, it's all there. So that's probably the easiest way. And, but you guys, thank you. This has been such an honor. And you're, you're just so good at what you do. And I'm so proud of you and so grateful. Thank you. The, the honor and pleasure is ours. And hopefully we get to do it again sometime soon. It's, uh, it's always great speaking to you and hearing from you. And we also dropped your information in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you, Jenny. Great. Thank you again. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.